0: questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Tonight we expose the rot at the heart of the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church today. Our special guest has created a brilliant piece of investigative writing based on four years of authoritative research, including extensive interviews with those in power, the celibacy of priests the condemnation of the use of contraceptives, countless cases of sexual abuse, the resignation of Benedict XVI, misogyny among the clergy, the dramatic fall in Europe of the number of vocations to the priesthood, the plotting against Pope Francis. All these issues are clouded in mystery and secrecy. If you are ready, you will learn the secrets and penetrate the enigma. It derives from a system founded on a clerical culture of secrecy, which starts in junior seminaries and continues right up to the Vatican itself. It is based on the double lives of priests and on extreme homophobia. The result resultant schizophrenia in the church is hard to fathom. But the more a prelate is homophobic, the more likely it is that he is himself gay. Here's a quote Behind rigidity there is always something hidden, in many cases a double life, unquote. These are the words of Pope Francis himself, and with them, the Pope has unlocked the closet. No one can claim to really understand the Catholic Church today, until now. What you're about to hear is the truth revealed, and it is extraordinary and disturbing.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, Want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback? Just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel
1: Fabregas. Tonight's special guest is Dr. Frederick Martel, PhD, a French writer and researcher. He is also a journalist at National Public Radio, and the author of 10 books, which have been translated and published in more than 25 countries. He lives in Paris, and his latest book is titled In the Closet of the Vatican, Power, Homosexuality, Hypocrisy, which has been published in eight languages and is a New York Times bestseller. Frederick Martel joins us from Zurich, Switzerland. Hello, Dr. Martel, and welcome to Veritas. Veritas. Bonjour. Bonjour. May I call you Frederick?
2: Exactly.
1: Thank you. Well, In the Closet of the Vatican is the title of your new book. What compelled you to write it? Let's begin with that.
2: As you as you have mentioned, I, I wrote uh, several other books before. So I'm a researcher, um, an academic uh, professor, and I'm a journalist. So when I do a book, it's because, first of all, um, I think I might add new information to, I would say, to the world and also because I'm able to do it. And I was able to do it because I got some sources that basically in the beginning of my research, uh, you know, gave me um, a description of the Vatican. Uh, it, they were priests uh, working in the Vatican or journalists uh, uh, Vaticanese, working in the Vatican. And so basically you, you do these kind of books when you, you begin with sources.
1: What was the reaction? If at all, do I presume that this book is not available in any bookstore within Vatican City?
2: In fact, it is. I mean, uh, Vatican City, as you as you know, there is no bookshop inside. it' yes. uh, there is just a small supermarket, uh, post office, and and uh, that. Uh, and if there is a few books, it's only, of course, the books of, of the Pope. But a few uh, a few blocks away, uh, there is a regular. Uh, we are in Rome. Regular bookstore, and the the book was available everywhere. So. I wasn't uh, I haven't been boycotted you know it was easy to find in for the people in the Vatican You
1: know Frederick I was an altar boy as a child for many years and I met many good priests my favorite one fell in love with a female parishioner and had to leave the Catholic Church and even as a child that didn't make sense to me the fact that priests cannot get married I know it's law it's But the question is, if the Catholic Church is so homophobic, why does the Vatican have one of the biggest gay communities in the world? Obviously, they're living a double life.
2: I mean, here the things begin to be complex. Um, You know, I, 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 I believe... Uh, a majority at least in the vatican and quite often also in the us in the episcopal and um, a bit everywhere in the world a majority of the priests are uh, are gay but when you say gay doesn't uh, explain everything it's not gay in a sense of gay 2020 you know they don't go to the gay pride it's people that basically are in trouble with their sexuality. A lot of them are honest and they don't live a double life because they are, I would say, homophile, which means if they will if they will have sex, it will be with the men. But they don't. So they are faithful of their vows of chastity and vows of celibacy, but uh, they still are homosexual for me because their culture, their psychology and also their homophobia to some extent is it's explained by the fact that they are attracted to men. But a lot of them don't practice if you want. They, they, they are not pra- practitioner of homosexuality. That's true also that uh, some of them, and we know them pretty well, have also a boyfriend. They, they, they go out in... In some places, to meet uh, men, and sometimes they even have some prostitute. But uh, you have different categories, and I do believe that um, a, a lot of them are still faithful because they they are still chaste. When I say that, it's not because I I think you 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 have to say chaste. I think in the I mean the reality is that. Uh, I think no sexuality is counter-natural. And I think a lot of the problem of today, problem, of course, on sexual abuse, but also problem of the culture of secrecy in the Vatican, the, the lie on money and on many other things, power is linked to the fact that these people are not happy because they don't live the normal life homosexuality is not counter natural what is counter natural is to ask a man to be chased yes. because that's not something normal and this is why i think uh, it's going to be over in a few years not for moral issue not because of the bible or the Evangel. by the way they n- neither the the, nor the, the Bible, nor the Evangel discuss celibacy of priests. There is not even priests in the Bible. So it's something late in the Middle Age. So it's something that has been changed in comparison with the beginning and can be changed again. But I think it will be not changed because of a moral issue or anything, just because of demography. In France, we have basically 800 priests every year that die. 800, and there is less than 50 that are ordinate. So it means in 10 years, you don't have priests at all. So all the people who say, you know, we have to keep celibacy are basically destroying the church. And we need to to open very quickly the church to men that are married, to women, and to, to homosexual. That's just a necessity
1: if we want to, to have priests. My wife's family is Greek, so sometimes we go to R- R- Greek Orthodox church, or I have friends who are Russian Orthodox. They get married. They have their yes. families. They have their children. At one point in our history, the priests used to get married, and the reason why this was, ch- this was changed was because the church did not want to relinquish its assets to the legacy of these priests dying to their wives or children? Absolutely, absolutely, yes.
2: But you need also to know, and people quite often, especially in the U.S., don't know that, we have a lot of Catholic priests that are married today. Two categories. First of all, the Anglicans, that were Already married, and they were some of them integrated by Benedict XVI inside in the Catholic Church. So since they were married, they didn't uh, we, they didn't demarried them. Though they are still married, and more than that, we have a lot i mean basically 70% 70% of the priests from the middle east catholic priests that are married because it's possible to be married uh, before being ordained in the churches in the christian uh, i would say uh, um, christian uh, uh, country like uh, uh, C- christian catholics uh, in iraq in iran uh, mainly in uh, in lebanon in lebanon, syria in Syria, but also in, in Jordan or in Egypt. So you have among the Maronite or, or Syriac and other groups, you have the priests that are massively married. So even the Catholic Church recognized by Rome, you have a, a, already many exceptions.
1: But I think, as you well said, and by the way, what we're discussing here is not an attack on the LGBT community. That is not an intent at all. What we're just saying, there's hypocrisy here. If you have an institution that is so homophobic, who's, who says that it's a sin to be a homosexual, right? Then why is it that they inside the Vatican practice otherwise?
2: Yes, it's not. You, you. Of course, my book is not against uh, LGBT people. By the way, I'm uh, openly gay, so my book is in favor of gay gay people, and and main, mainly to to recognize the reality. And not to hide this reality. But it's not even an attack against the church. And this is, I mean, you know, I get 10 letters every day since the book was published, which is a year ago. 10 letters every day by people everywhere in the world that are basically priests or former priests or seminarians that basically... 99% 99% of them are in favor of my book but they mainly they don't even discuss the book they've read the book and they say to me you know you describe my life that's my life and then they told me sometimes 50 50 page written i mean w- written by hand about their life sometimes it the letters arrive in polish or in portuguese la- languages that don't speak and so it's it's not against the Catholic Church, I mean, the Catholic Church reacted basically, I mean, some people don't like me, for sure, but many people loved me. And even the Pope said, uh, in a sta- not in a public statement, but it was published everywhere after he said that to a famous uh, lawyer in uh, Latin America, he said, I read the book, it is okay, I knew everything. So even if the Pope knew everything, you know the, 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 the state of, of uh, you know, of the program?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. But what I'm trying to say is, whether a priest is gay or is heterosexual, these are normal feelings. They, uh, how can you be in your 20s, 30s, after seminary, 40s, 50s, and I understand the vote of chastity. But as a human being, how possible is that 100% of the time for either a gay or a heterosexual?
2: That's the same. You're absolutely right. And actually, we know, and that's the same problem. Because for the church, if you basically uh, uh, have a sexual relation with a woman or with a man, you are equally a sinner. But we know it's a lie. I mean, we have studies that are even published by the Catholic Episcopate in Bolivia, in Brazil, in Colombia. We know that in Peru, in Chile. We know that, of course, in Africa, that a very large majority of the priests in little villages have a girlfriend sometimes they are even married by another priest that is also married and in big city like in mexico or in you know medellin or like places uh, uh, like in brazil big cities and in the us basically in urban they they are gay so heterosexuality in rural uh, countries and homosexuality in uh, uh, urban s- big cities. That's the reality of the church. And and actually, I don't have any problem with that. And that's also the strength of my book. I mean, I don't judge them. I just explain the system. The fact that a priest has a girlfriend or a boyfriend, I mean, if it's a, with consent and if the, the boyfriend or the girlfriend is uh, adult and there is no authority, Between them, welcome. I mean, I'm happy for them, and I don't want to see, I don't want to criticize them.
1: What I do have a problem with is pedophilia. Whether you are, either or, I do have a problem with it. How pervasive do you think this problem is within the Catholic Church?
2: Okay, here we have to be extremely careful. And just before I mention, as you remember, I said adult with consent and with no authority. So consent is extremely important. And the age of consent is, of course, also very important. First of all, there is no uh, link between homosexuality and sexual abuse. Sexual abuse in the world are mainly the the results of heterosexuality because of the majority of the victims are girls or, or women and quite often it's in the family or it's in the school system and the 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 abuser is is a man so it's ba- mainly heterosexuality by statistic, and for a very simple reason, there is much more uh, heterosexual people in the world than gay people. Then, second point, when we go to the church, when you, you see and you analyze only the statistics and the information in the church, we discover that, that there is an exception, a singularity, an idiosyncrasy that means 80 to 85% of the victim of priests are either men or boys adult men, quite often seminarians, or boys. So there is a, a specificity where the victims in the Catholic Church by priest are mainly by male sex. Why is that? Of course, it's not homosexuality that implies that. It's mainly the fact that there is a culture of secrecy that basically is a, is a lie, and you have the people that basically have to to hide about their sexuality, and also the fact that, of, of course, by definition, it's a it's a world of men. I mean, the priests are all men, the seminarians are only men. Quite often, the 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 choir or the kids in the catechism and in uh, many schools and so on are, right. are only boys. And so that's the reason why the, the majority are more than the majority, 80% to 85% are boy or, or men. Uh, and to finish on that, it's also a system of cover-up. And the link between the cover-up and homosexuality is also linked to this secret because they are fragile because they can be uh, you can have some blackmail because the the priests are vulnerable because they are gay and and they have something they do something secret uh then they might be blackmailed or they try to hide any uh, sexual abuse or any sexual problems in their um parish and that's i think an explanation that has to be probably longer than what i said but at least it's the beginning of the explanation.
1: And this is the part. I, I get a lot of email from, from folks here in the United States because they've heard me say that I was an altar boy for many years. Thankfully, my father was very, very involved in the church because he almost became a priest before he met my mother. But they write to me about what happened to them. Many of them were raped by priests at the age of 12, 13, etc. I just wonder, again, I don't care if you are gay or heterosexual. But that deviancy of pedophilia, of abusing of a child, obviously they don't have consent and the child feels this is a person of authority and this is the common theme, Frederick, when I hear from these people, I told my parents and they almost beat me up because they said that, you don't ever repeat that, that's impossible, that did not happen. Are people so brainwashed? not to believe their own children against some of these, and I have to say it, some of these people are monsters, whether in the Catholic Church or any other way.
2: Yes, I mean, I think you, you, you're you right. And, um, the um, you know, the question here is not about the specific cases, even though the, the person that is guilty is, of course, the abuser. But there is here a system. We are speaking about thousands. I mean, thousands of priests that have been accused in the US, but also in Australia, in UK, in Ireland, in Colombia, in Mexico, in in Chile, in France, in Belgium, in Switzerland, in Netherlands, in Spain, in Italy, thousands of priests. I mean, actually, more than dozens of thousands of priests have been accused of sexual abuse. So. It is a system, it's not an accident, it's not just something that somebody did wrong. It is a, a, a system that for, to some extent attract people that are have problems with their sexuality and more than that protect these people uh, and protect these people at every level if you take the the most famous cases uh, like uh, marcel marcel in mexico caradima in chile if you take a grower in africa uh, grower in australia sorry if you take a grower in I, I go back if you take a grower in austria if you take Pell in in australia and others, even to some extent Bernardo in Boston, in some of these cases, you have a protection system that have been the, the case by, by bishops and and cardinals uh, in, the, in the local country, but also the nuncio with the ambassador of the Pope, quite often politicians, that's the case in Mexico, in Chile, it's a case also uh, in um, Colombia, and then All the hierarchy in the Vatican, the congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, the congregation of the bishops, the Department of State, and sometimes even the entourage of Pope John Paul II or Pope Benedict XVI protected all uh, these priests. So the reason of the protection is very complex. There is many factors. There is factor of success because quite often these priests were very successful sometimes it's a factor of money because they were giving away a lot of money sometimes it's politics and of course it can be also homosexuality uh, but nevertheless that's a big scandal to see all this hierarchy from the local parish to the congregation of the of the congregation of the uh, the, the the bishop of the congregation of the doctrine of the faith and the entourage of the Pope protecting this abuser.
1: Speaking of protecting, you obviously know the concept of a merta, a code of silence about criminal activity and a refusal to give evidence to authorities. You're loyal to the oath of merta. Do you think the Vatican operates almost like a mafia? Don't talk about the family. Don't go against the family. Is this alive within the Vatican?
2: You know, I'm, um, I'm, I try to be, um, as a researcher and a journalist, you know, not to be bitter and not to use words that are, um, so the word omerta has been used by many people. Even the word mafia is used in, in places in Latin America. They speak about organized crime for that, especially in Chile or in Mexico. What I would say myself, it's more, You know, that's a pretty traditional, I I don't want to to play down the the problem, but that's very traditional for any organization, either a government, a bank, a big corporation, or in this case, a a religious organization, to protect itself. Whenever there is a a fragility, an attack, uh, whenever there is things that have been wrong inside the institution, the normal reaction was to protect it. And in the time of Jean Paul II, the reason of this protection was also to some extent that uh, Benedict XVI, uh, sorry, uh, in the time of uh, Jean Paul II, uh, Jean Paul II was mainly you know, he, he grew up in a communist country. Uh, rumors were quite often used against people and against priests to, uh, to, to attack them. So he was very, uh, I mean, he didn't believe in a lot of rumors. Of course, he was wrong in the case of Karadima or Marcel Maciel or Groher and many others. But there is al- al- always explanation that, uh, and again, I think there is other factors that play a role. I mean, I cannot believe, maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, I'm not Catholic anymore. I was Catholic until age 12, so I'm very um, transparent and very clear about that. But I cannot believe so many people said, you know, I'm going to protect this pedophile. There (coughs) There is other reasons, probably. And the reasons are, they, they had not enough information or these people were extremely important for other reasons like money, ideology, the fight of communism in Latin America and many other factors and probably John Paul II was also very old, very sick, earlier than that what we, we thought and maybe his entourage who knew the file, who knew the problems were not enough, uh, uh, they, they didn't tell him the truth. So I would like to believe that the Pope, John Paul II and even Benedict XVI discovered that too late. But it's still a, a, a question mark.
1: And for the record, I mentioned the word omerta because it's in your book. You actually have a quote that, that says, why did these men, and I, you're referring probably to the people that you interviewed, who were used to being silent, agreed to break the omerta. This is one of the mysteries of this book and my reason for writing, correct?
2: <laughs> yes, but the omerta for me was more lié at the question of homosexuality in general. Um, you know, I try not to judge again. I think the, the role and the, the job of a journalist or researcher like I try to be is not to, to judge people. I'm not in charge of, uh, you know, I'm not a um, a judge, basically. I try to to explain a complex situation. And this is why also I didn't give away too many names. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are mentioned in my book, but I don't out people. Especially when they are alive. When they are dead, it's different because it's history and, you know, you can speak about, um, things that have been in the seventies, the sixties, the fifties. But, you know, I don't want to attack anyone that is uh, alive. I don't want to criticize people that are already enough in trouble because they are homosexual and they, I don't want to add this kind of uh, uh, make their li- their life more 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 complex even though I think it's my job to out the system not the people but the system
1: I understand that and you were as a journalist you want to get out of the way and present simply present the facts and that's what you should do and that's what you're doing but is the and again this is a question uh, based on something I read in your book is the Vatican a modern day sodoma
2: you know the Sodoma is the title of the book in Italy in France in Spain, uh, not in the u s where the title is in the closet of the Vatican in the in the new edition by basically in paperback that is out uh, right now um Sodoma I use this explanation uh, this word uh, Sodoma because first of all it's in the Bible I mean it's not my word, it's the word of the Catholics they use the 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 attack against gay people using the word sodoma even though basically we know that in the bible sodom doesn't uh, in fact uh, reflects the question of homosexuality it's about hospitality it's about many other factors but it's not the question of homosexuality that probably has been the the reason of the destruction of sodom even though, if, if Sodom has been destroyed by, by anything, but that's another story. So yes, I assume this part of uh, irony, and and of course it's a it's a title. I mean, any title has to be a bit provocative, but um, I don't think uh, I think it's a, it's a new Sodom in the way Sodom was probably, which is probably not a gay city, but something much more complex than that. But that's true. That, you know, as a researcher and a journalist and as a gay person, I was astonished. I was totally even shocked by the level of the presence of homosexuality in the Vatican, but also in many places where I was in the US, in Brazil, in more than actually 30 countries to do this book.
1: Did you have any pushback within the Vatican being that you are a gay person yourself, that they might be saying, why are you attacking us? You're one of us, but you're not.
2: I mean, depending on what you mean by, I mean, first of all, I think the definition of the job of the journalist or or the writer or an intellectual, if you, if I may, is to be able to criticize uh, his own people. Criticizing your own people, making a dissent is the definition for me of our job. It doesn't mean to attack people, but it means you need also to criticize your own people. And actually, if you want to be mean against me, you're going to say, oh, you don't attack Catholic you attack gay people, and that 's true. I attack if you if you can say that the gay people in the Vatican, even though they are the majority, so at the end, I attack also a bit the Vatican but to be more serious now, I think the 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 question is not about denouncing or attacking it's about explaining it 's about. Giving to the people the key to understand the reality of the system. And in this uh, way, I can tell you, and a lot of people write me that, and a lot of people believe that, my book will be, maybe not on the short run, but but in the middle run or in the long run, a book that people will consider as something that helps the, the church because it gives the explanation. And that's, I think, the job of the sociologist. I have a PhD in sociology and the job of the journalist to explain things that, in a way, people got. I think the people understand. I think everywhere, the people that are listening to us, the Americans, people in Italy they understand. When you have thousands of problems of with priests, when you have scandals every day, you know, since my book was published, every week you have a new scandal in Chile, and then in Colombia, and then in Mexico, and then in France with the Cardinal, and then you have Pell in jail in Australia, and then you have Macarick in, uh, in the U.S., and then you have the Vigano Memo, and then and so on and so forth. So people realize that even the far right, even the people that are... Uh, clear Catholic and believer, they know there is a problem. And I'm pretty happy to, in a way, to have been... Um, my, my book is trying to tell the truth in the same way that Pope Francis asks us to speak the truth and ask the journalists to do their job for a better truth.
1: I'm going to discuss Pope Francis in a, in a moment, especially his comment, who am I to judge, right? But this gives you so much more validity in what you're trying to accomplish because you are giving your perspective, not only as a journalist, but as a gay man saying, listen, we understand there's a problem. Now, what is the source of the problem? Is it the Celibacy law, do you think this is what is killing, literally killing? Because the elderly are dying, obviously. The youth are not... When I go to Europe, I'm very surprised when I go to the churches, and I see, you can hardly see any young person attending church these days.
2: Yes, less than 3% of the French people go to mass uh, on Sunday anymore. And that's basically uh, not much more in Spain and even in Italy. I mean, Catholicism is dead in Europe. So why is that? For many reasons. But um, yes, I think you, you you asked a good question. The the, the main explanation of the problem is celibacy. I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, I mean, there is a rule. Straight people, normal straight people, cannot accept anymore, after sexual liberation, not to have sex with women. That's as simple as that. They don't, and they won't. If the priest has to be chased, they are not going to be priest, or they are going to lie. That's as simple as that. So the church attracts what? It attracted for a long time gay people because it was a way to hide their sexuality and to find, in a way, a safe place. But even gay people have other, other options now. So they go, they don't go to church to become a priest. And so you attract what? You attract right wing extremely identitarian figure that have some problems with their sexuality, or you attract people that know they have problems with their sexuality and they try to avoid, uh, for example, to to have sex with, with kids and they, they believe going to the church will be a solution and of course it's not because that's even worse. So there is, a, I mean, there is a, a huge and fundamental problem in the church.
1: I'm talking with Dr. Frederick Martel about his book In the Closet of the Vatican. Now, is there currently a civil war inside the Vatican between the liberals and the traditionalists?
2: Yes. I mean, um, it's not even a um, commentary, it's fact. When you see, uh, I mean, he, too, very recently the Pope uh, Pope Francis that fired uh, from the Pontifical House old Uh, bishop uh, archbishop George Ganschwein with the main assistant of Benedict XVI you see that there is a fight between the two popes and not exactly like in the movie on Netflix the two popes which by the way is a very good movie even though everything is fake I love it uh, yes, there is a fight when Cardinal Sarah published a book supposedly with the Benedict XVI. It's a kind of a fake book because Benedict XVI never wrote, never wrote the preface, never wrote the conclusion, and just gave a small text of 10, 15 pages that, that was published by Cardinal Sarah as a book of Benedict XVI on celibacy, to attack Pope Francis on that. And that's also a war when you listen to Cardinal Burke, a U.S. cardinal, uh, a German cardinal like uh, Müller, a cardinal, uh, a, a German cardinal like Müller, another German cardinal like Braun Müller, when you, when you listen what uh, uh, the so-called Dubia uh, were saying against Pope Francis. And yes, there, there, there is a, a war, Between, I would say, the traditional John paul II and Benedict XVI um, bishops and cardinals and the new generation uh, and also the more uh, moderate, sometimes left, moderate left or leftist that have been appointed by Pope Francis or, or that are around him. It's also a war between uh, the Jesuit and the Dominicans and the more conservative groups like the Legionary of Christ or Opus Dei or, or many others. And yes, I think, um, and and this war. Is also in the U.S. In the U.S. you have uh, the, the very conservative groups and TV network and and anchorman that are attacking Pope Francis all the time, saying he's a Marxist, saying he's a leftist, saying he's a theologian of liberation, saying he's a pro-gay uh, guy, which is actually not true. And... Uh, and, and and some people that are much more in the social uh, social workers, the church uh, that care about the poor, the church that is much more um I would say on the ground trying to save some problems and, and so on. So the war is also in the in the US, inside the Episcopal Conference, the, the Bishop Conference, and it's inside also the the American Catholic media, that's a reality.
1: What is your opinion on the very first Jesuit Pope, obviously, Pope Francis?
2: You know, um, that's a, a, a good and, and hard question at the same time. Um, first of all, in the beginning of my research, and also as a French, you know, French have a special relation to Jesuit. Uh, from uh, Rabelais to Voltaire, from Rimbaud to Michelet, we basically hate the Jesuit. There is a long, uh, even Pascal, a, a long history of, uh, of problems with Jesuit in France. So <laughs> when the Pope arrived as um, an Argentinian, Peronist, Jesuit of 80 years old at that time, Of course, I was very suspicious. And to be honest, I didn't like him. He was too too Jesuit for me. You know, one step behind, one step forward, too hypocritical, too, you know, I want something and then I do something else and so on. But then I realized uh, working and doing my research step by step, how complex was this situation, how uh, fierce, how uh, uh how how f- fearful were the attacks against against him and how he tries he tries to do his best between um what he thinks is a necessity changing the church and also the fact that he has to be also um, not too quick not too to to radical in his changes. And, but at the same time, he's also now 83, 84 years old, which means he doesn't have so much time. So that's all the contradiction that you can see. On, for example, the LGBT issue, where the Pope is pro LGBT sometimes and sometimes is against LGBT people. He can be in favor of civil unions sometimes. He has been in in Argentina. It's clear, also in Italy, but very against gay marriage, which in in a way can be coherent. Is also in private, extremely friendly with gay people, even transgender people. And it can be less, um, I will say, um, listening in public. So that's all the complexity of an old man that, uh, that uh, can make a lot of mistakes, and he did, many, in Chile, in France, in other places, in the U.S. But I do think that at the end, he goes to the right direction.
1: I'll come back to Pope Benedict because there's a lot to discuss about him and when he was in Argentina, obviously he was not too light. He even had a kind of a war between Christina Kirchner and that all changed when he became Pope. But we'll come back to that later. Why did Pope Benedict the Sixteenth resign?
2: You know, I would be very, um, very, very... Um, um, <coughs> I would be very um, pretentious if I, if I uh, could answer your, your question. I mean, that's the first time uh, for ages that a pope resigned. Right. So a decision like that is probably the consequence of many factors. It's not a single issue decision. Uh, Age, health. Uh, the incompetence of Cardinal Bertone, sexual abuse—all that played a role, probably. But also other factor: some blackmail to maybe his assistant, maybe his brother, maybe secretary of state. Some uh, trouble with uh, many, I would say, um, uh, situation and and actually sexual abuse revelation in Mexico, in Cuba. And Cuba, in many other uh, places, you know, you have to understand that Benedict XVI, who is now more than 80, more than 90 years old, grew up in a totally different time. He he grew up in a time when um he believed that the Church was something good and pure, without any um, evil in it. He he might have been a homophile, which means somebody that. Uh, I think he's chaste. I think he's honest. I think he's not hypocritical. But he might have been gay if he would have had the sexuality. We don't know. But in any case, he repressed himself. He spent years, decades, to say something very simple. Whenever you are gay, and he said that many times, whenever there is this problem, we don't understand exactly what is it. But if you're gay, please, please stay Chaste. Stay chaste. He, 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 he made celibacy as a definition, as a goal for gay people. And maybe within, with this decision, he was speaking more about himself than to others. But at least he was uh, faithful and he was, he was honest because he asked the gay people to stay celibate as he decided for himself. So this is why I have a lot of affection for Benedict XVI, who I think is a tragic figure. Who I think is somebody that, being Pope, he discovered, and because he had information and memo and testimony, how the church was profoundly in trouble. And I think after some years, it might also have played a role in his decision to
1: quit. But I also think that no matter what leader, whether it's the Catholic Church or any other religion, if you are demanding celibacy from your priests, and they're human beings, I'm going to say it again. And let's say that they, they make nuns priests in the future, and they just want them to be celibate as well. I think the same applies to, to them. How can you control and repress the natural feelings from which you were born with?
2: Uh, you, you you the answer is very simple dozens of thousands of cases of sexual abuse that's actually the body cannot accept yes. so there is one day when the body acts even if you don't want and uh, we know also how the percentage of pornography and, uh, is extremely high in the Vatican. And that's something that has been said by many. I also discovered and, and explained in my book. And actually, I was there. I met the people. How you have camp sex party. I mean, I, I wasn't in the camp sex party, but I was in the place. I saw the place. I saw the people. The camp sex party, you know, in the congregation of the doctrine of the faith, people were having party with sex and drugs and alcohol. That's amazing. In the Inquisition, in the place of the historical building of the Inquisition. So they are really crazy to some extent.
1: Now we have to take a break. And by the way, our guest thought our interview was going to be shorter than scheduled. So we're trying to get as much from him as we can. He's in Zurich, Switzerland, and it's very late there. The book is In the Closet of the Vatican. Power, Homosexuality, Hypocrisy. You can buy it on paperback at Amazon and there's also a link on our website to the specific books since there are 25 different versions out there, languages. Don't go anywhere, much more with Dr. Frederick Martell when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas and you are listening to Veritas. See you in the member section.
3: Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our sanitas and veritas seasons and other great products and if you're listening on youtube like subscribe and share it and click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available now proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview you don't want to miss it thank you for listening to veritas because you don't want to believe you want to know